So Matthew 25. I guess if you want to give this a title, you can call it the law of receiving and reward. Now, you know, the last time uh, we met and in our offering time, we talked about, you know, people had made the statement uh, that you shouldn't give to God expecting to receive, and we addressed that last time. But that really got me stirred up. And as I began to look at this last night, it just got me stirred up even more. And, uh, you know, when I, when I think of the churches I have visited in this country, not necessarily been part of, but just having visited them for whatever reason, maybe, you know, somebody invited me or whatever, or pastors I've talked to in meetings, you know, that I've gone to in various locations. Uh, I mean, I would say with the exception of maybe one or two, I have never, I have, haven't personally really been in a church where they really receive an offering. I mean, it is just not ever brought up. It is just not ever talked about. You know, giving to God and receiving and the laws that govern, you know, <coughs> abundance and blessing and prosperity and what our responsibility is to God and what God's responsibility is to us. It is never, ever brought up in most churches I have been in. It, at best, you know, they might say, well, we're going to take up the offering and they'll pass the bag. They might put a box at the entrance to the church and you drop something in when you go out. Never a scripture read, never a thing taught, never a prayer prayed. And that really, really disturbs me. It is no wonder people think what they think, you know, about God and about the blessings of God. And, you know, it's just, it's not people's fault. It's not their fault, you know, but... but um, we're going to talk about some of this today. Matthew 25, 14. For the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country who called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one. To every man according to his several ability, and straightway took his journey. Then he that had received the five talents went and traded with the same and made them other five talents. And likewise, he that had received two, he also gained other two. But he that had received one went and digged in the earth and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants cometh and reckoneth with them. And so he that had received five talents came and brought other five talents, saying, Lord, thou deliverest unto me five talents. Behold, I have gained beside them five talents more. His servant said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of thy Lord. 
He also that had received two talents came and said, Lord, thou deliverest unto me two talents. Behold, I have gained two other talents beside them. His Lord said unto him, Well done, good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. Then he which had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew thee that thou art an hard man, reaping where thou hast not sown, and gathering where thou hast not strawed. And I was afraid, and went and hid thy talent in the earth. Lo, there thou hast that is thine. His Lord answered and said unto him, Thou wicked and slothful servant, thou knewest that I reap where I sowed not, and gathered where I have not strawed. Thou oughtest therefore to have put my money to the exchangers, and then at my coming I should have received mine own with usury. Take therefore the talent from him, and give it unto him which hath ten talents. For unto every one that hath shall be given, and he shall have abundance. But from him that hath not shall be taken away even that which he has. And cast ye the unprofitable servant into outer darkness, there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Some Christians, as I said, are blinded about what the Bible has to say about money. And what they do accept about it is almost always in a negative context. They can quote you all the scriptures about how money will ruin you. And they regard money as nothing but a carnal thing. The Bible does say that money will ruin a fool. Well, I'm declaring there are not any fools in this room. Amen? If we got the Word of God, there's no reason to be a fool if you can read. Now, it also says the love of money is the root of all evil. And you can have the love of money and be totally broke. And I'm at, I bet most of the people out there in prison for robbery are in there for the love of money and they don't have two pennies to rub together. Now, if you don't remember anything else I say today, remember this. That money out there does not belong to the devil and his crowd. Amen? It belongs to the people of God and it belongs in the kingdom of God. And as long as Satan can keep Christians poverty-minded, he can keep them and the church weak and ineffective. Now, these people do not have an image of money, abundance, and blessings that the Word of God paints. That's just the word I'm going to use is paint. Satan distorts that image that the Word of God produces. Now, as you know, words carry images. If I say the word dog, you don't see D-O-G. You see a picture of a dog, and everybody in this room will have a different picture. But if I say black poodle, now we've all got the same picture. If I say German shepherd, we've all got the same picture. Okay? 
So words carry images or paint images. Well, that's exactly how God's Word works. Now, in Mark 4, God compared the Word to a seed. But I, I want to use a little bit different comparison by saying that your, let's say your heart is a canvas. Let's, let's say, you know, your heart is this screen. And the Word of God is the paint that I would write on here with. And the Holy Spirit is the one, is the artist. The Holy Spirit is the one that paints that picture on the screen of your heart. And that's what Jesus was teaching in Mark 4 when he talked about the sower sows the word and all the different, you know, the thorny ground, the stony ground, and the good ground, and so forth. Now, he mentioned Satan comes immediately to steal the word in one group. Then you got another group who heard the word and received it with gladness and, and endured for a while. These people endured for a while. They heard the word and when they heard it, hallelujah, glory to God, I'm inviting everybody I know to hear this. But after a time, persecution and affliction ariseth for the word's sake. And they fell by the wayside, and so forth. Now this is the way Satan operates. He wants that word out of you before it can paint that picture on the inside of you. It works with healing. It works with righteousness. It works with being blessed to be a blessing and able to give and help people like never before and being in a position to fund the kingdom of God. The word he wants that word out of you before you can it can paint that healing, that picture of healing in your heart. He wants that word out of you before it can paint that picture of seeing you being a banker for God, being able to give away more money, have more money, bless more people more church projects than you've ever been. Satan cannot afford to allow that to happen. That's why he distorts this image in people and does all these things that Jesus mentioned in four, the cares of this world, so forth, to steal the word of God out of you. Now Satan can steal what you don't understand. Now let's look at Verse 14, this master, this man, called his servants and delivered unto them his goods. Now I have rarely ever heard this parable talked about in its actual content, context. In this parable, the master gave talents to three servants. Now, I have heard all kinds of, you know, illustrations about talents. And the principle here is, that's fine. You can apply the principle here to a lot of other things. But the actual context here is money. A talent here in this parable is not talking about singing ability. 
It's not talking about dancing ability. It's not talking about preaching ability or anything else. It's talking about money. A talent in ancient times was about $1,000. So the context of this parable is money. The master left money with three servants. Now, verse 14 says he gave them his money. It was not their money. And this is one problem Christians have to begin with. They think their money and everything they possess is theirs. It's my money. I worked for it. You know, and they forget the fact that, well, God got the job for you, and he got the promotion for you, and he got the pay rise for you, and he enabled you to work overtime when nobody else was allowed to work overtime. They kind of forget all of that. And because they see it as their money, it sticks to them. It's more difficult for them to part with. Because they don't realize, if they don't see themselves as really managing God's money. So if, now I'm not saying that all your money is God's money. Ten, the first 10% is. That is God's money. The other 90% is yours. But I'm just saying, if you can begin to see everything you have is belonging to God, then when He asks you to do something with it, it doesn't really upset you so much. You know? You see what I mean? Now, that's one reason some people are so touchy about money because they say, this is my money, and that preacher is trying to take it. Okay? Now, verse 15. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to every man according to his several abilities, straightway took his journey. Now the first two servants put the money to work in the kingdom of God. The first one gained, had five and gained five more. The second one had two and received two more. The third one, in verse 18, but he that had one went and digged in the earth and hid his Lord's money. Now he acted like this money belonged to him, didn't he? He's hoarding it up. He's, acting, he's not acting like this, well, this money belongs to the master. It's, you know, he's acting like this is my money and I've got to protect it. Now, we talked in the last meeting about how it is godly to, to give expecting to receive. And here is another example. Verse 19. After a long time, the Lord of those servants cometh and reckoneth with them. Now after the master gave the money to the servants and left, did he expect to receive something after he returned? Yeah, he did. That's why it says he, he came reckoning the accounts. He came to take an account of what they had done with what he left them while he was gone. So he left them money expecting to receive something when he came back. And he didn't just expect to receive 
the five that he gave them, or the two that he gave them, or the one that he gave them, he expected it to be multiplied over and above what he had given them. So, God gives expecting to receive. Yes, not only did he give expecting to receive, he expected a multiplication of what he gave. Isn't that what we call increase? Let's look at verse 21. His Lord said unto him, this is the one with five, Well done. Did he say, shame on you. You should have been content with the five I gave you. You shouldn't have been so selfish. Don't you know money will ruin you? Is that what he said to him? No, that's not what he said to the second one either. He did not rebuke them for prospering and increasing. He said, well done, good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Now, what did he give the servants according to how they handled his money? A reward. A reward. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been <clears throat> faithful over little. I'm going to make you ruler over much. I'm going to give you more. The message translation says, From now on, be my partner. Where it says, uh, <clears throat> uh, Enter into the joy of thy Lord. The message says, From now on, be my partner. God said, I can use this person as a partner. He knows how to handle my business. The way they invested his money revealed where their heart was. It showed their concern for his affairs. I read one statistic that said money is the most talked about subject on the earth. Over and above politics, fashion, entertainment, and any other subject. Except in the church. We don't talk about it there. Money is a spiritual thing. That is why Christians are so touchy about it and they don't want to talk about it in church. Money reveals where your heart is. And that's exactly what the Master found out in these three servants. By the way they invested his money, he found out where their heart was. Was their heart in his business and his affairs or not? What did Jesus say? Where your treasure or your money is, there your heart will be also. So you cannot separate money from your heart. It will tell on you. 
And that's exactly what happened in this parable. That's why people don't want to talk about it in church. Now, the third servant that had the one talent and went and hid it, did he get commended? No. Verse 24 to 27. Then the master, uh, then the servant which had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew thee that thou art an hard man, reaping where thou hast not sown and gathering where thou hast not strawed. And I was afraid and went and hid thy talent in the earth. Lo, there hast that thou, thou hast that is thine. His Lord answered and said unto him, Thou wicked and slothful servant. The, uh, some translations say the unprofitable servant. Unprofitable means useless and good for nothing. In our common, common vernacular, we wouldn't say unprofitable. We'd say that's a useless, good for nothing servant. The message translation of verse 27 reads like this. The master was furious. That's a terrible way to live. It's criminal to live cautiously like that. If you knew I was after the best, why did you do less than the least? The least you could have done would have been to invest the sum with the bankers where at least I would have gotten a little interest. Verse 28. Take therefore the talent from him, and give it unto him which hath ten talents. The one that got rebuked is the one that did not increase. The one talent he had was taken from him and given to the one with ten. Now if the one with four had said, hey, wait a minute, that's not fair. He's already got ten. What about me? He would have lost his four for complaining. Now in today's society, this is, you know, last time we talked about Isaiah 55, God's ways are not man's ways. Well, in today's society, the world rewards people who do not achieve. That is the world's way. And in today's society, they would say, that's not fair. you got to give the five to the one with one. Because he's only got one, and we don't want him to feel bad. You know, we don't want him to feel left out, so... He needs it more than the one with ten. The one with ten doesn't need it. You ought to really give it to the one with one. That's the way the world operates, but that's not the way God operates. God rewards the one who increases. He said to him, he said it here, and he also said it in Mark chapter 4, to him who has shall more be given. To him who does not have will be taken away even what he has. In Matthew's account of Mark 4, the sower sows the word, the understood subject there is understanding. 
to him who has understanding of how God's ways operate, more shall be given. To him who does not have understanding to how God's principles and laws operate, he's going to lose what little he's got. And that's exactly what happened to the third servant. Now, verse 29 is God's ways. I just quoted it. For unto every one that hath shall be given, and he shall have abundance. This is how God's laws of prosperity operate, and how they perform abundance. But from him that hath not shall be taken away even that which he has. Now what... What if, um, what if Peter and Ann said, Barb, I'm going away for a few days. Uh, would you watch my lawnmower while I'm gone? Take, look, I'm going to leave my lawnmower with you. You can use it if you want to, but just look after it while we're gone. We'll be back in a few days. We're going on a trip. Well, while they're gone, I take their lawnmower apart in about ten pieces. Because I don't want anything to happen to their lawnmower while they're gone. You know, I want to make sure nothing happens to their lawnmower, so I take it all apart. And when they come back, I go to them with their lawnmower in ten pieces and say, Here, Peter and Ann, here's your lawnmower. You know, aren't you glad you left it with me? I took really good care of it, you know. I know, you, I know you want the best, and I know you demand the best, and I didn't want to disappoint you by, you know, ruining your lawnmower or having somebody steal it, so I just took it all apart so nobody would steal it. Now, that's basically what the third servant did. Now, the next time you go on a trip, are you going to leave your car with me? No. If I can't handle your lawnmower, you're not going to leave me the keys to your car. Now, do you get the principle on how God works? If He can't trust somebody with the little bit they got, He is not going to reward them with more. He cannot afford to increase people like that. They'll ruin, it will ruin them. This guy was a fool, and he's the perfect proof that money will ruin a fool. That's why he lost. God said, I can't afford to let him have one. Why should I give him more? Now, verse 30. And cast ye the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now before... Well... Now let's go ahead. Let me go ahead and with this verse. Have you ever read this verse? And I think it's in other places in the Bible. Weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you ever wondered what that means? If you're like me. Do you want me to tell you next time? <laughs> you want to hear what it is now. Okay. Well... The term weeping and gnashing of teeth, this is where it comes from. As you know, in ancient days, society, 
Almost all the cities had walls built around them. And there would be usually kind of a designated place at the wall where people would throw their garbage and their unused food over the wall to the outside. And it would pile up, you know, in a heap. All this unused food and garbage would pile up in a heap at the base of the wall, down at the bottom. Well, the authorities decided they could use that. So when they had someone who was suspected of committing a crime, and they didn't know whether or not they were guilty or innocent, they decided to tie them to a rope and lower them down over the wall in the darkest of night into the midst of this garbage heap where lions that roamed the country would come at night looking for supper. Now, I imagine their crime rate was very low. <laughs> and if we had some of that going on today, we wouldn't have a problem with the prisons being chock full, would we? Burglary and everything else going on. But this is what they did. And they would determine that if they went back the next morning and he was still alive, he was probably innocent. But if he had been devoured, he was probably guilty. But even if they went back and found him alive, usually they were at the point of insanity because being in, cast out into outer darkness in the midst of these hungry, roaring lions trying to devour them and trying the torment of trying to fight and escape all night long, usually they would be found in a state of insanity the next day, even if they were still alive. And sometimes their teeth, they would have ground them down to nothing. Now that is where the term weeping and gnashing of teeth comes from, and that's why Jesus used this term to refer to somebody, an unprofitable, unfaithful person, cast out of a business or an organization where they had not been faithful. That's why Jesus used this term. Now, how how would a person how would a person feel you know if you had been kicked out of this organization um, and then realized you know I could have done better you know I could have done better and you see somebody come in and take your position and do very well and succeed that would be pretty agonizing, wouldn't it? Now, I believe there are Christians who are one day going to come to the revelation of God's Word and what they could have had here on this earth in terms of blessing, 
and abundance and God positioning them to bless the kingdom of God and fund the kingdom of God and be used of God in the area of finances. And they've been putting it all off till they get to heaven. And one of these days they're going to realize what they have forfeited, what they have passed up, and what they could have had. And that's why Jesus said it's going to be an agonizing experience. And that's why he refers to it as weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, to know that all of this could have been theirs if they had not forfeited it with wrong attitudes about money, that would be agony for anyone. Now, the anti-prosperity people say that the law of sowing and reaping and the law of reward only applies to other things. That doesn't apply to money, just other things. But these are spiritual laws ordained by God. They're also natural laws. These same people who get up and say, you shouldn't expect to receive anything from God when you give, will march right out the church door They'll go right out there Monday to Friday. They will invest their money in IBM and they will expect a return on that money. But you come into the church house and you are told that you give to God and He will not do for you what IBM will do for you. Now that is pathetic. That is sad. It is no wonder Christians think what they think. It is no wonder the world is not beating a path to the church house because they think they are better off out there with IBM looking after them than they are to come to the church house and tell them God won't do anything for them. God doesn't care about their finances. God doesn't care whether they have money or not. God doesn't care whether their needs are met or not. To hear somebody say, well, God just, God just said he would meet your needs. He didn't say he'd meet your wants. That's not what the Bible says. The 23rd Psalm says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And that covered your wants and your needs. Organized religious tradition has so misrepresented God and Satan has used it to destroy the real image the Bible paints of the God of abundance and blessing. Most Christians' attitude about money is not only affecting their own lives, but this is what really gets me. It is affecting the destin eternal destiny of people. There are people staying away from God by the millions because of the misrepresentation of God in the area of money, finances, and their needs. What's that saying? People don't, people don't care what you know till they know that you care or something like that. All these people can major on is cars and houses. 
When you start talking about prosperity, that's the first thing that comes to their mind. They don't think about what could I, how many people could I help? How many people could get saved if I had more money to give to evangelism? Twenty years ago, they calculated that one person in Africa could be saved for one dollar. You know, now it might be two dollars now, you know. But still, one, the eternal destiny of one person can be changed by one dollar. And people don't want it. They don't want to know. I was looking up... Uh, I wanted to look up Joyce Myers' a, a headquarter address here because I wanted to send her some money. And I had it written down somewhere, but I didn't want to go through my diary. So I was, just went to the Internet, put in her ministry, hit return, and I went, you know, it had it at the top. But I scrolled down. At the bottom of the page, this is what I read. Joyce Meyer, false preacher slash teacher. And I opened that up and I read some of it. And it just made me, you know, it just really, really, the person that wrote this article, I have never heard of them. They're supposed to be a Christian. What fruit have these people produced to make them think that they are an authority and a and judge over people and to straighten out all the word of faith prosperity preachers that they don't agree with. Not, do you want to know what they started out with? You can guess her nice clothes. Then they went to her husband's car. Then they went to her children's vehicles. Then they went to her vacation home in the Ozark Mountains. Never one word about the two dream centers, one in St. Louis, I think the other's in California, that sends teams of people out on the street to, to minister, to feed the homeless and um, get them off the street, get them saved, get them in proper accommodation, get them in church, train them in leadership in church, find them jobs. Never one word. Never one word about the town that her ministry totally, completely rebuilt from the sewers up in Sri Lanka, I think it was, where the tsunami was. Also in India. Yeah. Totally rebuilt an entire town. And they did it in, I think, a year or less. There's, there are countries over there still arguing about that $400 million that England sent over there and how it's going to spend and who's going to control it and who's, what they're going to do with it. Most of that money has never, ever been spent. She re totally rebuilt an entire town. Sewers, streets, new houses, school, church, new fishing boats so the men could go back to work. Never one mention of that in this article. 
the thousands of orphans that she feeds every day through her ministry. The new homes for human trafficking to get women and young girls off the street, out of prostitution, into a safe place, get them saved, get them in the Word, get them in church, and find them proper jobs. Never one word about any of this. It was all houses and cars and clothes. All criticizing. Now, tell me, what are the executives of Budweiser, Heineken, Barclays Bank, and all the footballers that have played 150,000 pounds a week, what are they doing to advance the kingdom of God? Absolutely nothing. Why is it alright for them to have nice clothes, a nice car, and a nice house? But when it comes to a preacher, they must be dishonest. You know why people think that? Because they are ignorant of God's ways. It never occurs to them that maybe they have all these blessings because they are obeying God's words and principles. But if you don't know those principles, then you can't connect the dots. You know, they must be dishonest to have all this money. It never occurs to them that maybe, you know, somebody gave them the new car. That never crosses their mind. In their foggiest million years, they could never envision anybody giving them a car. Yeah, or anything, or anything else. If you've got the money and you want to help somebody and you can't do that, you give the money. You say, look, you want a bigger place, I'll buy it for you. Never, yeah. never occurs to them. Maybe somebody gave them the car or the house. I mean, Brother Copeland drives a GMC Yukon, which is just an everyday, ordinary SUV, American-made. I mean, he could drive, you know, a Mercedes or whatever if he wanted to. He drives that because that's what he wants to drive. And most women could care less what they drive as long as it gets them from point A to point B. And I think Joyce Meyer's pretty much the same way, you know. Um, she, she says that her, their own personal spending is just covered by the books that she writes. Right. She's always professed that. Yeah. That Jerry, Jerry Savelle, I just heard his um, a CD from him recently. He says, you know, he gets a salary from his ministry. He has not had a pay rise in 10 years. Now, this is where operating the principles of God enables you to increase. Even though his salary has not increased, his income has increased. Because even though he's getting the same amount of money from his ministry for the last 10 years, last year he had more large amounts, more large gifts given to his ministry than ever before. Why? Because his giving 
opens the door for God to have new opportunities and new avenues to bless Him in ways that He could never manufacture Himself. That is the way this whole principle operates. He's not confined to his salary. Um, so that's the way it works. Now, but it seems to be alright for the world and the bankers and you know, the chief executives to all travel around in a jet plane and drive a nice car and live in a nice house. But if you're a preacher, you must be dishonest. Now, I went to the hairdresser last week and I was kind of... When I came out of there, this occurred to me because I guess I was already thinking along this line. If I go to the hairdresser and I pay them money for cutting my hair... Do I turn around to the hairdresser and tell him how to spend the money that I just gave him? Do I tell him what, where he can buy his clothes? Do I tell him what kind of car he can drive? Do I tell him what kind of house he could live in? No. But if you're a preacher, apparently you can do that. You know. Everybody feels like if you're a preacher and they've given you 10 pounds, they got a right to tell you what you can drive, what you can live in, where you can buy your clothes. Nobody else in the world is treated that way, as far as I know, only the preachers. The only, if you, if you want to go through life and not be criticized, just don't do anything for God. If you do anything for God, you are going to be on the hit list for criticism. And I ran across another end time website that went right down the list, started right at the top, came down Brother Hagen, Brother Copeland, Jerry Savelle, Joyce Meyer, Marilyn Hickey, Benny Hinn, all the way, sweeping all the way down, accused them of being nothing but charlatans. Didn't give them credit for anything they have ever done in the kingdom of God. Criticize, criticize, criticize. Does anybody criticize, you know, the, the broke preacher down here at first whatever church? No. He, why is the devil going to criticize him? He's not doing anything to threaten the kingdom of darkness, is he? He's not going to pinpoint him. Anyway, that's... That's about all I got to say. <laughs> You're right to get on your high horse. But I mean, uh, and and people's eternal destiny is at stake. Not only is it part of our inheritance, you know, Jesus paid for us to have abundant life, and He doesn't want us to keep it to ourselves. You know, he wants to reward us. Turn to uh, Hebrews 11.6. We'll end there. Hebrews 11.6. So, it is 
godly to give expecting to receive and it is godly to expect a reward for obedience to God's word and his principles and faithfulness. I also heard another story about uh, someone who had worked in somebody's ministry. I forgot now who it was. But they had worked in their organization and had been faithful and everything for a number of years. And they felt like, you know, over time, that their gifts and abilities were not really being used and were not really being acknowledged and were being overlooked. And that they should just go start their own ministry. So that's what they did. Unknown to them, the the pastor or the whoever, you know, whoever's ministry it was, had been planning to buy them a new house. And he never told them that. And as far as I know, never did tell them that. Now talking about weeping and gnashing of teeth, how do you think if he finds out I was one inch from my reward, that pastor was going to reward me for my faithfulness to him by buying me a new house and I was stupid enough to up and leave and I forfeited my new house. Now that's what Jesus is talking about. Weeping, that guy is going to be in total agony when he finds out I was that in, that was that far away from my reward and I walked away from it. Hebrews 11.6 But without faith it is impossible to please him for he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a what? A rewarder. Rewarder of them that diligently seek him. God is a rewarder. Didn't we just read that on the screen up here and all those names of God? He is a rewarder. So don't let anybody put you down. Don't let anybody, somebody tries to straighten you out and tell you that you shouldn't give expecting to receive and that God will not reward you for faithfulness and for investing in the kingdom of God. I mean, and then they turn around and go out and invest their money in the world and expect to receive a return on it and tell me the God of this universe will not give me a return on what I put in His affairs.